So thank you so much to the, to the worship team. If you guys have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 6. And we are going to, I'm going to just try to briefly cover all this so we can have plenty of time to, so that we can discuss the uh, ideas here. But let me put up on the screen kind of just the big idea, the big thing that I think this text is really getting to, and it's this. Because of God's love, because of God's love, that's the start, He is faithful to judge evil, to rescue a remnant, and to build His kingdom. Because of His love, those three things are coming out of this passage. And I was really encouraged by my study this week and looking at the different times that the Bible itself references Noah. And a lot of times I'm just thinking in terms of the destruction and the judgment. But God was working to rescue and redeem His people. And we see His love and we see His faithfulness throughout this text. So I'm going to read some different portions of it. I've got it up on the screen as well. Starting at um, verse 9 of chapter 6, we're going to go through 18. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Remember we've been talking about the Toledotes? That's the Hebrew word, generations of. This is like a new section for Hebrews here, or excuse me, a Genesis. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. There's that idea again, walked with God. Remember last week we saw it with Enoch. Enoch walked with God. But remember with, remember with Enoch, we, we didn't get any detail. Like, okay, he just walked with God, but that's all we really know about what his life was like. With Noah, we're going to get to see a lot. We're going to get to see a lot of detail. Maybe begin to answer that question. What does it maybe look like to walk with God? It says that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. So this is the setting of the scene. And we saw that a little bit in the text before. Remember from last week? Just how, how rough things were, how messed up things were. And God is seeing His creation. Instead of seeing it's good, like He did in, in Genesis chapter 1, He's saying He's seeing that it's corrupt. The earth was filled with violence. <laughs> Remember how he, told, he commanded His creation, bear fruit, multiply, and fill the earth with life. Instead, what do we have? We have an earth filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. Its breadth 50 cubits. Its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it, it a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is breath which is the breath of life under heaven everything that is on the earth shall die but i will establish my covenant with you 
and you shall come into the earth. And now keep in mind here that I think, is this talking about his covenant that comes later? Or is he talking about the covenant that he's already made? That he's going to bring through them the offspring, the promised offspring that's going to crush the head of Satan. There is a promise that's come from Adam through Seth. And remember Seth and Adam's line? I think God is continuing that covenant. I'm going to establish my covenant with you, Noah. You and your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. So God is faithful to judge evil. He is faithful to that because of his love. I've said this before, and I want to remind you guys of this, that God's love, I believe, is God's defining character quality. His, like if you could say, what is God like? And it's an umbrella word that covers all the things that are God. God is love. John 1.4 tells us that. He isn't just loving. He is love. Nobody in this room is love. Everyone in this room can be loving, right? We can love people, but God is love. That's who he is. And I think that's the defining characteristic. Everything else that God does flows out of that characteristic. So when we come to a passage like Noah, where we have unbelievable death, judgment, the wrath of God, does God set aside his love? So that, okay, now I'm going to put on the wrath hat. Now I'm going to be the wrath God. No. I think God's judgment of evil flows directly out of his love. And I think, you know, anybody here that loves someone understands what that's like. You know, what would you say to a parent who just watches their kid get abused by somebody? You know, it's like I'm just watching my kid get beat up by another kid in the neighborhood, picked on and punched, cruelly treated. No, it's like, I love my child. And in my love, you're going to start to experience some of my wrath. Like, we're not doing that. God is not indifferent to evil. And that, and that indifferent, that, that, that care flows out of his love. He's looking at his creation, the creation that he commanded and created and said is good, and now it's completely filled with evil, with horror. God is not indifferent to evil. Look at these verses I got. Romans 12, 9. God defines love this way. Here's the, think of this definition. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That's part of the definition of part of the definition of evil is for uh, of love is abhorring evil. He, God can't be loving if he's not going to deal with evil. And then look at Isaiah twenty eight twenty one. This this is a fascinating verse. He says, "For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon." And these were two uh, big events in the life of David, where God used David to defeat the Philistines. So he's just recalling back. You guys remember these big things that God did? It says, God will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed and to work his work. Alien is his work. God is in three persons, a father, son, and Holy Spirit. God has been in, in a loving triune relationship for eternity. He wasn't a solo one 
person God just looking for somebody to love, and now I've got to make, make a creation to love. He was already in a loving relationship. And then out of that loving relationship, he creates and invites people to join him in that relationship. But because of sin, because of evil, because violence came into the world, the new part is that God has to deal with that. That's the alien part. That's the, the strange part. Because before, God never had to do that kind of thing. Before sin came into the world. I think that's an amazing thing to think about. But we can wonder still, why isn't God dealing with this evil that I'm seeing right in front of me? Why isn't God dealing with the evil that is around us and in the world? I think that's a reasonable question. Well, you know, it's like, okay, God, here's this evil. Why aren't you dealing with it? Why aren't you doing something about it? Back in 1994, there was a genocide in Rwanda that was just mind-blowing. I won't get into the details, but basically in a 100-day span, close to a million people were murdered. 100 days, close to a million people. Close to 500,000 women were raped in just 100 days. I mean, it was just bloodshed on a scale and in a time frame that was just crazy. I mean, the 20th century is a century of bloodshed. It's horrific. Why isn't God working? Where is God? Why isn't he working? Um, Second Peter says a lot about the flood and Noah. And Peter is writing to his audience and he's trying to encourage them. He's like, guys, you're seeing a lot of evil. You're dealing with a lot of persecution. Kind of like the days of Noah. Kind of like the days of Noah where there's just violence and evil all around. And he's trying to encourage them that God's going to deal with this. God's going to deal with this. And then he says this. This is amazing. 2 Peter 3, starting at verse 8. He says, but don't overlook this one fact, beloved. He's going to deal with evil, but don't overlook this, guys. Don't overlook this, beloved. And I, just, I mean, I just love this. Like, Peter is just dripping love. He's like, God, like the Father loves you. I love you. He's feeling compassion for them because of what they're, the, the evil that they're experiencing in their lives. Look at this. He says that the Lord, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord, that's the judgment, will come like a thief. In other words, a surprise. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Why does God wait so long? Beloved, don't forget this one fact. Our timetable is not like God's. That's number one. What seems like a long wait to us, for Him is nothing. And what is nothing for us, is a long wait for him. Like, in other words, he is outside of time. That's number one. And then number two, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Guys, we may experience and see evil, but we are no more innocent than those other people, guys. 
before a holy God, we need a Savior just like everybody else. There's nothing special about anybody in this room, including myself, that earns and deserves the love of God. Right? But God, because of God's love, He is faithful to judge. He is faithful to judge because of His love. Then going on to chapter 8. Flip over to chapter 8. He builds the ark. You know, the waters come. All the animals come. Fills up the, the land. Everything is covered up. Everything gets wiped out except for what's in the ark. Chapter 8, verse 1. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Guys, this remember is not like, Oh, I totally forgot about, I got to take care of Noah. You know, this is not that kind of remember. This is a... These guys are my beloved. This is all I've been thinking about was these, these guys on this ark. My whole heart is right here. I remember them. Guys, God, because of his love, is 100% faithful to his people. 100% faithful to his people. He will remember you. Not like, oh, where did I leave the keys? No, it means his mind is on you. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, God is going to remember you. He is going to be faithful. He's going to remember the promises that He has made to us. And then get this. I don't know if you guys saw this in the, in the I Ate Them uh, from earlier this week. But get this. He remembers you, but He intentionally forgets your sin. Like that, isn't that awesome? I mean, it's like I, I want to... I go before a holy God and I'm kind of like, oh, the stuff, the junk, the things that I did this week, the things that I thought. I know that all that is laid bare before Him. Nothing is hidden from Him. Yet He promises to forget it. Look at Isaiah 28, 21. For the Lord will rise up. Whoop, wrong one. Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, Judah. That's a promise from God to His people. I will remember you, but I will forget your sins. That is awesome. I mean, if He's going to forget my sins, then what do I need to do with my sins? I don't need to do anything with my sins. I'm just going to go to Him and enjoy Him and be with Him. He knows that you're not perfect. He knows that you're lacking all kinds of things. He knows all, I mean, everything about, He knows you better than you know yourself. He wants you. He wants you to be with Him, to walk with Him. That's all He wants from you, to enjoy Him and enjoy His glory. Because of God's love, He is faithful to remember His people. And then also, because of God's love, He is faithful to build His kingdom. Because He made a promise to Adam and Eve that there was going to be one who was going to crush the head of the serpent. And we see through Scripture that, that we get more and more of a, the painting gets painted of what that's going to look like. 
where he's going to restore and redeem what was completely lost in the garden. And, and mankind, we're all doing our best to try to get back in that garden our own way. But he's like, you can't do it. He's like, I, I am the door. You've got to enter through me. But it's wide open. It's completely wide open. There's no condition for coming in it's, except for this is the door. <laughs> That's it. There's no bypassing it. There's no climbing over the wall. It's, guys, my love is all you've got to have. That's it. Walk in through Jesus Christ. Guys, Noah, Noah, was he living in the garden? I mean, what was it like before the flood? The entire world is filled up with violence everywhere you turn. It is one guy and his family that's walking with God. Was he living in the garden? No. He's a long ways from the garden. I mean, in our lives, are we a long way? Yes, we are a long ways from the garden. But God is at work. He is working to restore Look at eight, uh, chapter 14, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 14. Where are we? Chapter 8, verse 14. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. So they're, they're on the boat, and it's starting to, to, to all the water subsiding. And this is what happens next. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. We've heard that before, haven't we? He's restarting. This is his kingdom that he's trying to preserve. He's showing us, like, this is what I want. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Remember what we said last week when we were talking few weeks ago when we were talking about uh, Abel. Remember Abel brought a, um, a sacrifice and God received that. He didn't receive Cain's. And we, you know, part of the question is why is that? And I think the reasonable assumption is that God had explained to them how you're to do this. And so Noah's just doing what they were told to do in making a sacrifice. And I wonder how hard it is to sacrifice when you have so few animals <laughs> and you're starting over, I, don't, I have no idea, but he brought that burnt offering and then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. That line right there, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Remember that was in the, the beginning of chapter 6 in the passage we looked at last week? He said, I am going to like flood this entire place because the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Same phrase, but it's a different kind of response. Instead of saying, I'm going to flood everything, he's saying, I am never going to do that again because of the sacrifice that Noah gave. And I think we're getting a little bit of a picture of the future promise that God has. That instead of mankind having to bring a sacrifice, God will bring the sacrifice. Because our hearts are evil all the time. 
so that we can be redeemed back to him. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I've done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God is doing a work of redeeming his people and redeeming the world, restoring what was broken and putting it back together. And then finally, we have a restart of the, with a new covenant. Look at verse, jump down to verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. Uh, where are we? Is that verse 12? For all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it, sh and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. You know, one thing that's kind of fascinating is that, you know, we know that to be the rainbow, that God marks the rainbow as a sign of his covenant. But the, the Hebrew word here is used throughout the Old Testament as the weapon. The bow, arrow, weapon. God's saying, I'm setting my bow. And older Jewish tradition, the rabbinical tradition, always thought of that as essentially God is putting his weapon aside. And he's promising that I am not going to deal with you in the same way again. And I saw one book that highlighted that essentially this is kind of like God's set the bow in the sky, but instead of it being aimed down at mankind, it's aimed up at him. You know, thinking about the idea that when he comes to solve the problem, when that offspring comes to solve the problem, he's going to direct his wrath on himself rather than the wrath on us. And I think it's just incredible that he makes a promise he makes a promise to us, and, th and this is one way to think about the, the, the covenant of love that God extends to us, His grace that He extends to us. It's kind of like getting a credit card from your dad that has an unlimited amount on it. And no matter where you spend it, He's going to pay for it. I mean, God is saying, I, I love you so much. I'm, I'm going to die for any and all of your sins. I mean, it's essentially saying that I will, I'm going to have to pay for everything you do. Everything you do, I'm going to have to pay for that. That's the love of God, the grace of God for those who have received Him, who have come to Him. It's just incredible, absolutely phenomenal. And, and, and here's another thing to me that's so cool, is that I don't know, if you, I don't know how many of you guys were there do you, for our, the first baptisms we had at our church. Remember, it was at the Smith's house. We were doing one of our worship nights. And um, we had some baptisms planned. And it was an unbelievable Loudoun County summer kind of storm. Thunder, rain, I mean, it was just like dumping water. And we're inside the, the barn, and we're worshiping. And, and it's so much that it's like almost kind of hard to even hear the worship. And we're, the plan was to do so many songs of worship and then we would go outside as a whole group and do a baptism, and then we would come in and finish the worship. It was kind of like, I don't know if we're going to be able to do the, the baptism. And then we were thinking, well, it's like, well, they're going to be getting wet, so maybe people can kind of stand underneath the barn and just sort of look out there, so no big deal if they're wet. That was the idea. So, but right when we finished the songs, sunshine. 
absolute perfect sunshine. Look at 1 Peter. I think, is 1 Peter the next thing I've got on my slides if I have it right? 1 Peter 3? There we go. All right. Look at this. Noah, baptism. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. God doesn't want to judge them. He's patient. While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Noah was not perfect. We learn in Hebrews 11 that God credited righteousness to him because of his faith. And here he is, he's talking about the flood as a kind of baptism, a cleansing of evil all across the world. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when, the, when, when God, we accept Jesus in our heart, it's a baptism. And then when we baptize people, we're, we're showing people this is what's happened to a person. It's an appeal, so it's, it's, it's an appeal to God. God, I am one of yours. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And I've got a picture now of the sun came out and there was, this picture does not do it justice, but it was a perfect double rainbow. Looking from their barn up, up the hill right at that moment. And it wasn't until I was looking at this passage and reading in First Peter that kind of the whole thing of what happened here in this moment, it's like God just saying, this is my sign. You've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You are mine. It is an appeal to God that you are righteous before God. Not because of anything we did. There's nothing extra that Noah did. He, got, he just obeyed God and got on that boat. We, we respond to Jesus and say, okay, I believe. I am needy. I am a sinner. I need your righteousness. That's it. That's it. It's absolutely incredible. And then let's remember back to the first verse that we started with today. Isaiah 54, 9 through 10. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and, I, and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion for you. That's the promise that God has for us through Jesus Christ. Guys, and so now we're going to receive communion and we're remembering Jesus is that ark for us. He's the one that shields us from what we deserve by going in front, by going to the cross and dying for us. And so when we eat the bread, when we drink the juice, we're acknowledging again that that's who I am before God. And this is what he says about me because of the cross, because of his body, not because of what you guys have done. It doesn't matter how good you are, and it doesn't matter how bad you've been. 
all that matters is that Jesus died for you. That's all that matters. And I believe that. He died for me. Isn't that awesome, guys? Guys, let that, I mean, just let that bathe and fill you. Fill you to respond. And then now, guys, let's follow Him. Let's walk with Him and enjoy Him. Enjoy being with Him. And it's out of that place that we obey. Not because we're afraid of His rebuke or afraid of His anger, but because we love His love. Why would I walk away from that? Why would I walk away from that? I just want to enjoy and be with Him. So let me pray. And then when you guys are ready, you can come on up and take it. And then we're going to have, I think, one more so- one song. No, one song. And then we'll have a, a short time of discussion uh, just to, in, in groups. So, Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this. And I just pray that you would work through it. That your, um, your word, your promises, God, would bathe our souls, fill us up with the confidence that we are your sons and we're your daughters. Lord, this is a room full of royalty. Co-heirs with Christ, the creator of the world, little brothers and little sisters of Jesus. Lord, help us to be filled up and encouraged and receive that with joy right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.